I want you to imagine standing on top of Mount Canobolis and it's a crystal clear day like today. And you look west towards Forbes, across the sweeping plains to the horizon, and you ponder the end of life. What image comes to mind? Some of you may have like a sparkler fizzing out. Some of you might have a reset button. Some of you might have the lake of tranquility. Some of you might have a never-ending party. Every worldview has a picture of the end. In some worldviews, you live on through your ancestors. In others, you are reincarnated. Your soul is reincarnated. In others, you leave this life of suffering and enter nirvana. In others, you face judgment day. Ask your neighbours this afternoon and they will probably give you a secular mindset that has no room for the supernatural. And so what is at the end? Nothing. Nothing's at the end. You and I have a picture of the end this morning. And that picture shapes your priorities Monday to Friday. If you came this morning with a sparkler fizzing out end, then you are going to try and experience everything you can this week before the sparkler fizzes out. If you have a reset button end, then you want to make sure that the next version of yourself is better than this version. If you have tranquility or a party, then you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And if you have nothing at the end, you're going to avoid death at all costs. If you're a Christian this morning, your picture of the end is not vague. The Bible has a very clear picture of our end. Jesus will return. He will come out of the hair salon into his Tesla and he'll wave at his admirers. No, it's nothing like that. He's the king of kings. He's the ascended son of God. And Revelation chapter 1 says he will return in blazing fire. He will bring justice for all. He will banish evil forever. And he'll install a new creation. Physical, beautiful, sin free. Where love and joy and peace reign. At the end, everyone who is dead will be raised and they will see Jesus. And then everyone who's alive will see Jesus. And every single person who trusts in, the, in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins will live in the new creation with him. For Peter's original readers, that was their hope. And it shaped their life. Because the majority of them, becoming a Christian in the first century, had made life substantially harder. They faced state persecution, imprisonment. Their belongings were confiscated. They were rejected by society. They were laughed at. And that was the first 300 years of Christianity. Yet the church did not shrink. The church in that 300 years exploded. Why? Because they had an understanding of the end. And so they didn't pursue comfort or heaven in this world. They lived for Jesus in really simple ways and they kept going no matter what. 
They knew the end and they were not going to give up on Jesus. You see, knowing the end shapes your life. We see that in Peter's letter, don't we? 1 Peter 4 verse 7, the end of all things is near. Now, Peter's not a doomsday. He hasn't got a sandwich board on Summer Street going, you know, today's the end. Today, no, that's not what he's doing. He's actually not even saying Jesus' return was imminent. He didn't know. No one knows when Jesus will return. He was helping the early Christians think clearly about life. You see the line? The end of all things is near. Do you know that the end of your career is near? The end of your marriage is near. The end of your family is near. The end of your super, your investments is near. The end of this creation, this land is near. You see, nothing is permanent. That does not mean it's meaningless. It has utter purpose and it can give us great joy. But it's not permanent. The end is near. You see, we live in the last phase of God's great redemption plan. If you've ever read the Bible, you know that God has a plan. He made a promise. He sent the prophets and then his son came and his son lived and then died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out. All that's left in God's plan is for Jesus to return. What great perspective if you are living under great pressure. And what great perspective for people like us who live in great luxury. Our stress comes from too much want and too much choice. You see, humanity is not fidgeting before death. We are not not in an endless cycle of life. We're in the final scenes of a movie. We're on the last page of the book. And the plot is about to be revealed. The author is about to step onto stage and the curtain will come down on human history and everyone and everything will come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the end. See the next word? The end of all things is near. Therefore. You and me, we choose our priorities today. The goals for our life, what we want to achieve and the goals for our children In the use of our time, we choose those things in light of the end. And when we mess up the end, you live foolishly. It's a funny, there's a great story in the Bible where these women are preparing for a wedding feast. And half of them, they don't have enough oil. And they run out. And they miss out on the wedding feast. There's the farmer who builds bigger and bigger and bigger barns. Why? So he can eat and drink and relax and enjoy. That night he died. He misses out on everything. It's the teenagers in Orange who are told all the time they can be whoever they like, yet are crippled by the pressure of self-determinism. You misunderstand the end, you muddle your life. 
For the Christian, our great hope is the return of Christ and the everlasting kingdom of light and love and joy. And that end shapes our life. Because today we live at church at 1045, thoroughly secure in our identity. We are the loved, adopted children of God. That doesn't change. And we are thoroughly satisfied by his love for us now and thoroughly satisfied that what he has in our future is going to be not disappointing. So we live not as citizens of earth, with the priority of self, like your neighbours. We live as citizens of heaven on earth, with our number one priority being, look at verse 11, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything you do. In our five verses today, really small passage, what Paul's doing, uh, Peter's doing is highlighting far, three key priorities if we want to give God glory as church at 1045. What's priority number one? Clear thinking leads to clear prayers. Therefore, verse seven, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. We need to think straight if we want to live right. Now, Jack Brabham, on any winter Saturday morning, there are two groups of soccer players. Group one, they're alert. They know which position they play. They know which direction of the field they need to run. And they listen to their coach. Group two, they look at the clouds. They make patterns in the mud. They run in any direction they want. And they forget everything their coach ever says. One group, sober-minded. One group, distracted. We all live in information overload. That's the 21st century. Constant information in our heads. And it tells us how to live. And it muddles our thinking. It distracts us. And what it does is it brings us from the end to today. And muddled thinking leads to muddled diaries, muddled priorities, and muddled opinions. We need to think straight if we want to live right. We, as God's people, need to listen to God regularly and have our minds shaped by God on a continuing basis. Now, that won't happen accidentally. You don't kind of more, you know, just suck it in as like a sponge. No, no, we need to choose to do that daily, monthly, weekly. I want you to know the greatest spiritual attack you will face in your life is not lust. It's not greed. And it's not lying. It's the temptation to stop listening to God. When you stop listening to God, your mind gets muddled. I'm teaching PTC this term of the great group. And we just sat there two weeks ago as we'd read Judges and we were just like, oh, man, it took Israel one generation from stopping to listen to God's word to completely muddle their life. That's why, as I always see, we gather together to listen to God's word every week. It's why we don't have growth groups that just pray for one another. We sit around God's word and we read it together. It's why we do the midwinter devotions together. It's why we read the Bible at home and whenever we get together. Why? Because it's not religious. 
It's God's word by the power of his spirit reminding us again and again of the gospel, of the end, of who we are and how we are to live. But how does having God-shaped thoughts give God glory? We see it in the passage, don't we? Clear thinking leads to prayer. The act of depending on God. You see, distracted people don't pray. Distracted people don't pray. Clear thinking always drives the Christian to their knees before their loving father. And they pray, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done in my life, God. And God is honoured as his people depend on him and then align their lives with him. Is that something that needs to change in your life? Priority two, love one another at full stretch. Look at verse eight. Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, the love Peter is talking about here is not the warm feeling you have for the person sitting next to you this morning. The word constant, see it there in the passage, literally means love each other at full stretch. It's a great image, isn't it? It's the love that we receive from God when our Saviour's arms were stretched out and nailed open to love you. And it's the change the gospel makes in us. From coming to church at 10.45 for the priority of being loved by the person sitting next to you. No, no, no. We come and sit next to people so we can love them at full stretch with other person love. Now, interestingly, see the verse? Love covers a multitude of sins. Interesting, isn't it? Now, Peter is not saying here that loving others atones for sins or pays them. No, no, what he's saying here is that stretch love covers sin with grace. Stretch love covers sins with grace. So rather than drawing attention to the failure of other people, stretch love offers them a second chance. He offers them forgiveness. You see, when we show grace to each other at church at 10.45, what we do is we limit the sin of our brother and sister just to the sin. And we don't magnify their sin with slander or with gossip or with suspicion or with doubt. The way we talk about each other behind each other's back can often magnify people's sins. What Peter is saying, no, no, no. Stretch love covers people's sins with grace, just like Jesus does for us. Peter gives us another example in verse 9. See it there? Be hospitable to one another without complaining. You see, when you know your end, you can be generous with whatever God has given you today. For the early persecuted Christians in Peter's time, they were homeless. They had no food, no bed. What was hospitality? Giving them a bed and a meal. And in some places in the world, that is exactly what we need to do for Christians. What does it look like at 1045? 
It's having an open circle at morning tea so that someone who's new to 1045 could join that circle. It's being more real and open about yourself in person than on your Facebook. It is reaching out with the hand of friendship to someone you don't know. And we do it without complaining, don't we? We don't do it because we have to. We do it as people who have been loved by God with a stretch love. And it gives glory to God. Every time you open the circle, put the hand out, share something with someone else, you give glory to God because you are mirroring Jesus. Is this something that needs to change in your life? Priority three, serve one another. Look at verse 10. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Now, serving at church is never just doing a job. How do you know if you're just serving because it's a job? You say, I should do it. That's a job. No, no, no. Look at it here. Every time you serve, You are sharing God's grace with someone else. And Peter uses a really rare Greek word here, and it's uh, that word of the varied grace of God. And what it means really is the multicolored grace of God. What a stunning picture. See the colors on the screen? That is the colors of grace God has poured out on 1045. He has given us a variety of talents and skills and time and money, energy, thoughts and words. And Peter says, steward the multicolored grace of God in all of its forms to serve God and his people. His first first application is in verse 11. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. Some of you at 1045 have the teaching gift the ability to explain God's word to others. That is a very serious responsibility because every time you teach someone, you're handling the word of God. So if you're a kids' church leader, a growth group leader, a Bible reader up the front, a youth group leader, share God's grace with others prayerfully, humbly, and intentionally. Prepare well. Never wing it. Never wing it and never apologize for teaching the Bible. You are the spirit-empowered servant of God in the end times so people can hear from him. And then look at the second half of verse 11. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. Peter says, let's talk about everyone now. And he says, however you serve, whether you're the people who come up on this stage, whether you're the people who never come up on stage and serve behind the scenes, whether you're the people who serve in action or actually the only thing you can serve at 1045 is just praying for people, whether your service is attitude, that you turn up on time and you are positive. Any way you serve, you do it with God's strength for God's glory. So we stand in the car park at 1015. And we welcome people to 1045 in God's strength for his glory. 
We operate a sound desk up the back, not for praise, but in God's strength and for his glory. We vacuum the breakout space at 12.30 this afternoon in God's strength for God's glory. We serve at youth group. 32 weeks a year in God's strength for his glory. We prepare and lead a growth group, whether people turn up or don't turn up, in God's strength for his glory. You see, we serve each other at 1045, not when it suits, not when we can fit it in, not because it's our right, not for recognition. We serve because we've been served by God. We serve because we love God's church. We serve because it's a privilege and a blessing. And we serve so that God will be glorified in everything we do. In the 18th century, the prevailing form of Christianity was latitudinism. The clergy promoted it as a relaxed, balanced, sensible, not too extreme Christianity. To the church, it created an ethically, doctrinally and practically lazy church. In response, John Wesley led a grassroots, volunteer, disruptive movement. He was nastily called an enthusiast. He wasn't violent. He wasn't disruptive. John Wesley knew the end and it shaped his life. And he understood now is not the time to follow Jesus with mediocrity. It's not to follow Jesus with half your heart, half your soul, half your mind and half your strength. That misunderstands the end. Now is the time to serve Jesus Christ with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength. Please do not think serving 2023 is about filling the roles. It's never about that. It is the opportunity every single year for you to think clearly, soberly about how you might use the multicolored gifts of God to serve others in this church. And that's why it begins with prayer. We come before God and we ask him how we might serve with our gifts and skills and opportunities and attitudes and resources so I can play my part and your part in the church and as you fill in the survey this week or in the future you do it at full stretch don't you not just fitting it around your busy Monday to Saturday no 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 not doing it because I should do something because I'll get in trouble no you are living out your clear understanding of the end every time you serve someone in this room please don't think it means doing more and more and more it doesn't as you pray and think it might mean you do less it might mean you step out of ministries that you're comfortable with to do the uncomfortable jobs because you need to step up in faith you need to be trained to help others you need to make a wise decision to serve effectively it's not about more it is always about doing it in God's strength for God's glory. May God help us this month. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have served us so abundantly. We are so thankful. And you've told us the end, Lord. We know where we're going. 
We know all the goodness and gifts we enjoy each week are temporary, enjoyable, but temporary. Yet we know that your people are eternal and you will be at the centre of the universe forever. May our priorities, our time, and what we do reflect that. And we ask this for your glory. Amen.